All right. Uh, welcome, everybody, to another installment of Innovation Crush. I'm your smiling host. It's, it's already funny in here. Um, uh, Chris Denson is my name. That's what I was getting to. Uh, and in case you guys are tuning in for the first time ever, shame on you. Uh, but please come back. <laughs> and if you're a repeat listener, you probably already know that in this show we cover thought leaders, creative people, um, innovation and marketing, ideas, technology, whatever we can find our hands on that's out in the world is, you know, uh, pretty cool, pretty awesome. Um, and today, the buck does not stop as we have Graham Elwood here. Say I'm hello. a thought leader. You are a thought leader. <laughs> Tell us some of your thoughts. <laughs> lead us with your thoughts. <laughs> Could you lead? Yeah, lead this with... Uh, uh, actually, that is a good place to start. Um, how about the 101 on who Graham Elwood is? Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's see. Uh, well, that's impressive. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is so... I should have more to say. You, um, you know how to talk about yourself. I do. Um... I am a young, good-looking lad who works out. No, I, I don't Hold know. Hold on, let's pause this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, well, he's, no. he's not that young, really. Go go check his Wikipedia. He's not that young. Uh, yeah, what's, what can I tell you? I'm a, I've been a stand-up comic for a long time, um, and uh, I also went to film school. Which is where I met uh, Chris Mancini, and we co-host Comedy Film Nerds podcast, which you were just on recently. I was episode number two sixty six. Dang, you got a good memory. I couldn't remember that. Yeah, That's... we played around with the, you know, <laughs> you listen to it, guys. You'll you'll see it's it's awesome. Um, How did I do, by the way? You were great. You were you were. You don't have to say. Like, pretend we're not on the air. Are you, oh, yeah. dead weight. <laughs> Delete that quick, folks. No, man, you were awesome. It's uh the thing we love about the show. Uh, it's you know, comedy filmers is a, for everyone out there doesn't know what it is. It's a weekly movie review podcast, um, and we, we bring on comedians and filmmakers to talk movies, and we usually talk about the weekend movies or movies that just came out. And it's always great because, um, and you know, this as a podcaster. You know, we've obviously had a lot of friends on people we've known a long time, but we've had a lot of guests such as yourself that we don't know that well. And there's nothing better than an hour long conversation to hear them talk about why they liked a movie or didn't like a movie or what movies they grew up watching or what their favorite films are Yeah, to go, oh, this is this is cool. And they always bring and your episode was no different of bringing in something that goes, oh. Cool. I didn't know that, or I, I wouldn't have thought of that movie it's that way. It's a different way. way of looking at yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that was that was uh, that's what we do every week for for your fans listening, and uh, it's a lot of fun. We've had on all different kinds of comics, and you know, Sarah Silverman, Kevin Pollack, all these different people, and then we also help produce the Los Angeles Podcast Festival, um, which will be in its fourth year this um, September 18th through the 20th. Nice. Um, we raised a bunch of money last year on Kickstarter to do a podcasting documentary called Earbuds. We interviewed you. You, you did. And this, you've interviewed me twice. Yes. And now I'm returning the favor. That's, that's, it's this, about this, time. This is, this is a guilt interview. <laughs> so, uh, so what do you like to eat? <laughs> this, is guilt, this is a guilt interview. All your other friends have had me on their podcasts, Chris. Um, so, uh, yeah. So that that's what we're working on. You know, I'm I'm. You know, neck deep in this new technology, uh, which, you know, I've been in L.A. and in show business for a fair amount of time, like 20 years or more. And, you know, I'm sure you covered a lot on this on this show is it's 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 a crazy amount of work. But it is the most empowering thing I've done because, you know, I hosted game shows. Right. and I've done auditions. Oh, speaking of which, here's the crazy thing. <laughs> Cram. 
Oh, I was on that show. What? And uh, me and my partner, we lost to the other like team. And I was like, because uh, I was like, let me just look up some facts on on Graham. And I was like, oh, I was a get. It was it was a completely crazy random moment. I'm like, I was on the dude's show. So That's so I still good. have a mug at home that says Cram with the with the eyeball yeah. and the red like the, the red veins in it. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. I've run into so many people in the most random who were like, no, I was I was on that show. Like, it's the people, I hosted that show and I hosted Strip Poker. The Strip Poker contestants usually don't come out and admit that they're Yeah, were exactly. Out. They don't. They're come crap. on, baby, let's, let's keep walking. <laughs> oh my God, I got naked in front of that guy. Keep going, keep going, keep going. The crampy were like, I was on that show. Uh, they, oh, that show was a blast. It was fun. It was, it was, it it's was kind of cruel, though. It was very mean. They kept you guys up for 24 hours. And then make you take tests. Yeah, and make you take tests. <laughs> and you came on the show all dirty in pajamas and... Um, it was fun for us. We got to watch you guys just stumble around like lab rats on crack or whatever. Well, the crazy part was it was actually like it was real. It, like it was real. It was not mm-hmm. you know. Oh, we're gonna just fake it from a production standpoint. It was like we really Mm-mm. had to stay up all night. Well, and the, study random topics. And then they would put you in that um, that Dang. storefront. Yes. At um, Hollywood and Highland. Oh, yeah. which is now <laughs> I like totally a, forgot about it's that. It's not like You're a Dolce right. Cabana store or Fudge Shop or yes. something like that. But I, I remember, let's go with Dolce and Cabana. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be converted into a fudge shop. <laughs> they uh, ground up the bad, the contestants that failed and made them into fudge. Like, uh, nice. Soylent Green is people. Movie reference. Um, so, yeah, that's what that show was a blast. And uh, um, But I'm sure you've done this and, in you know, you go out there and you pitch TV shows and, and it's so much – you're so at the mercy – of this big Hollywood machine and mm-hmm. this like handful of gatekeepers who are going to wave their wand over your head and bequeath you the almighty TV show right. if you're lucky. And now in this digital age, it's, you know, I'm not, we're, you know, I'm not swimming in cash. We're doing okay. Right. But it's our stuff. Yeah. You know, like I don't have anybody telling me, mm, can't say that, or you got to have this guest on or whatever. It's the coolest thing, and I love saying like we got a we got a podcast and a nice little website and a festival and a documentary that required no pitch meetings. Yep, yeah, and, and that, I mean that's the whole empowering thing. I mean, kind of, kind of the direction I wanted to take some of this conversation is in you know this idea of creators and podcasting mm-hmm. is such. Um, I don't know. Such a is, is such a. I'm going to use the word buzzword now because it's like, oh, everybody like everybody wants to do a podcast. Um, but you know, what have you? Like, I don't know. Just what has your experience been in that? Uh, you know, in that ability to have your own conversation. You've had 266 plus number of episodes. Yeah, we've probably yeah we've done almost 300. I think we've done 30 spoiler apps. Nice. Which are we'll pick a specific like we did one for the Avengers movie and we just talk about that movie front to back and we really reveal the endings and. So we've done over 300 episodes. But yeah, you know, doing this for the first time, I feel like I'm on the cutting edge of something and not chasing. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? You pitch a script and they're like, oh, nobody buys these anymore. Now you need a script on clowns. Clowns is the new thing or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> then you show up with your clown script. They're dead. Alligators, clowns kid. Clowns are dead. Clowns are <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the title of my script. That was a closet. <laughs> You're just sitting there. No, we have an alligator script. He uh, moved here from a and whatever. So the thing that I'm especially doing the documentary, like we're in post on earbuds, the the podcasting documentary. The thing I learned so much about that was um, 
how and we went to Australia and Japan. Wow, really? Yeah, to interview fans. Wow. Um, we interviewed a, a miner in the Australian outback who works in an iron ore mine, and he emailed me. He's like, oh, I listened to your show, and I listened to Will Anderson's show. Will Anderson's this pretty big comic out of Australia. And How did you find these people? Like you asked, them, you put out a call to action, or you just you or you just wandered around the outback until somebody recognized you? <laughs> yeah, we spent all this money on a camera crew. We're like, let's hope we find someone. Um, it was an episode of Cram. It was one of the lost episodes of Cram. Um, we've got this camera crew awake for thirty hours. No, it was while we were doing. Uh, we did the Kickstarter last uh, February, so February of fourteen, mm-hmm. and we. So it was about a 35-day Kickstarter, and we we raised $140,000. And so during that time, we were talking about – some of them were emails we had already received over just over the years. I'm sure you get like, hey, I love your show. I listen to it. I've Here. never gotten an email that says anything <laughs> remotely close to that. <laughs> well, well, I'll give you some tips on how to get this, uh, um, Chris. But, you know, we've gotten the like, hey, you're, I love your show. It's gotten me through this tough time or that thing right. or whatever. And I was on uh, – I think I was on Will Anderson's show and I was like, you know, I want – he was like, what's this documentary going to do? I want to show the connection. I go, I want to – because I knew he has a lot of Australian fans and we have some too. And mm-hmm. I was like, I want to interview some guy, you know, drives a truck in the outback. You know, interview that guy. And this dude listening emailed and said, why, well, you know – that's I awesome. I don't drive a truck, but I'm an engineer and, and you know, I'm not a- Minor, engineer. Whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> Tomato. Right. Um, so uh, he goes, you know, I'm, you know, I don't like wrangle kangaroos or dingoes or any other uh, horrible stereotypes that you have about our country, but I do work in the outback and I listen to podcasts. So I was like, wow. So then when the thing funded- and we knew we wanted to go to Japan, too, because we had a fan of ours, uh, this woman, Sanai, who's this Japanese housewife, who started emailing us early on, like six months into us doing our show back in 2010. I love comedy film nerds. It's a great podcast. And she became part of the show. She was like, we call her Big Fan Japan. <laughs> and then when the earthquake hit in March of 2011, a bunch of our fans jumped on Twitter and were like, hey, are you okay? And she lives in Tokyo, and the for whatever crazy reason, the only thing really working at that time in Tokyo was Twitter. And so that is amazing, right? Yeah. And so she was like freaking out, or you know, she was home with her son. Her husband was like in the hospital. There's no power. There's no news. She doesn't know what's going on. Uh, and all these podcast fans were like, "Hey, are you okay?" And some of them talked to her for hours. <laughs> And so we were like, we got to go there and interview her. And we had never met her. And so we had already gotten all these amazing interviews in the States, in LA and, and DC and Philly, New York and Chicago. We went right. to, and, and, and fans telling us amazing stuff. You know, I suffer from, you know, chronic depression or I have PTSD and the podcasting. Help. Like we heard that numerous times. And then the whole Japanese earthquake storyline was, I mean, it's not a story. I mean, it's a storyline in the film, but it's like this amazing, like, and we met her for the first time because she wrote us this email like a month after the earthquake saying, your guy's show and the fans of your show rallied and helped me. And I felt really 
like supported in this crazy difficult. That's amazing. Thing. I mean, because I'm actually getting goosebumps, right? right? And it's it, and I think when you talk about this juxtaposition of big Hollywood versus a very personal creative experience, right? Because it's it's you and it's Chris, and like you're being you're being yourselves. You're mm-hmm. not acting. You're not mm-hmm. you know it's not you as a character. Or it's you having these genuine conversations about the things you like, um, but not. I think you know. The general populace, at least in the, from the business side of things, don't realize the level of which you have intimacy with these audiences, right? You know, even for for our show, we've had um, you know episodes tra- transcribed in, into French, like volunteered, like oh, you know, oh, we'll right? take this, and we can, can may we do this, and you know, uh, we had a guy who streamed it for his entire staff, like a, a, a particular episode that was something that they were dealing with, you know, at their job, and it's it's a different form of intimate entertainment <laughs> right uh, you know at where it to the naked eye it, it might feel cheap right it, it feels like it, I, so I'm curious as to like what else you've learned like what are some of the key takeaways and also um, you also interviewed a lot of big names uh, along the way mm-hmm. um, so mm-hmm. if you can run through some of that and just like some of the takeaways you've, you've discovered well you know the intimacy thing that you're talking about relates to like the big names like we interviewed Joe Rogan, we interviewed Aisha Tyler, we interviewed um, Mark Marin, the guys from Freakonomics who wrote those books and did Freakonomics Radio. And the questions I asked like the Joe Rogans and Aisha Tylers of the world is you guys are successful in traditional media, why keep doing this? And they're like, oh, because it's the greatest. I can say <laughs> whatever I want. You know, I mean, uh, Aisha and both Joe Rogan said, if there's an advertiser I don't want to use, I don't use them. If there's a guest I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I can do whatever I want. And I think when you work in traditional media and Hey, I mean, if a TV network came to me and offered me a, a sitcom, I take, of course I'd take it, but I would take it with the, and everyone was saying this, the, especially the, the big names even more so because you know this, you've worked in TV and there's such a, a machine in place and you write, you might write something hilarious, like on a comedy show, and oh it goes, man, yeah. oh yeah, it goes through a filter, and and you know, you, I, I've done it, I've watched sitcoms, and I'm like, I know the writers are funny, but what happened? Like, <laughs> yep. where, where did that, where did it become this? And so, you know, we'll all take the big payday, and we all know, but I think everyone was like, now they're looking at traditional media. Of, well, if traditional media can help boost my podcast numbers. And my road money numbers as a comedian, right. my live show numbers, great. There's this freedom that has come and and the personal connection. And then the thing I'm hearing from so many fans is they're like, uh, you know, we interviewed Todd Glass. And, you know, he's been around for a long time. He's been on Jimmy Kimmel a million times. He came out of the closet on Mark Maron's show. Oh, wow. And I was like, why? You know, why did you do that on a podcast? He goes, you think I'm going to do that on a, on a five-minute panel interview on a right. late night? Like, how am I? And he goes, you can talk. All right, our next guest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was really hard. And I, all right, stick around. <laughs> Killers is coming up. You know, the band is just exactly. like, <laughs> Justin Timberlake. We got the Tupac hologram coming right up. <laughs> <laughs> he's cut up for a hologram oh god that would be brilliant um but that was the thing and the fans said the same they mirrored that by saying i'm seeing these big famous comedians and these big personalities talk open and honestly and they're not all like soundbite joke you know publicist standing behind the camera guy 
and it's that personal connection. The Freakonomics guy put it best. Why he, you know, he they've, they've written several very successful books, obviously. And he goes, when I write a New York Times article, it feels like it's going through this mass thing. It's for mass consumption. When I'm writing a book, even if millions of people buy it, it's still the the reader is one on one, right? Just like this. People aren't listening to this in a group typically. I mean, like you had that thing with your office, that office in France yeah. or whatever. But for the most part, people are have you in. They have the show in their ears, and they're hearing this one on one. So it's a you and I are having a one on one conversation, and the listener is having a one is is getting to hear this one on one. And I think that's what makes it so personal, because you know, as we joked about when I first sat down, you're like, okay, here we are. Like, there's no big like. And three, two, go. It's right. just like, did you press start? Okay, talk, you know, and we'll, <laughs> and, and I think that how informal it is, is what makes it so personal and what, why people connect with it so deeply. They feel like they're just sitting at the, at the, at the kitchen table talking to us. No, it's funny. I always say, like, I want the audience to feel like they're a fly on the wall, right? Mm -hmm. With the conversation amongst peers, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, did you know, oh, did you hear that? You know, it's like, oh, I heard this thing. You can almost feel like you were just there and you were, you were listening. Um, I had a thought and I lost it. So keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to drone no, no, no. on through your good no, thoughts. No, it, um, it was great. I, you know, I, I, I get, um, and I'm sure you get this all the time, where people want to create a podcast, right? Whether mm -hmm. they are those all-star individuals, mm -hmm. in my case, it's, you know, business people who mm -hmm. are, like, they have an interesting perspective. Um, but oddly enough, I don't know if it's cut out for everybody. It's, I, I think everybody has a potential to do it, but it's... I think, like you mentioned earlier, the the level of work that it goes into, yeah. it seems like it's relatively easy. Set up a microphone, record, and post. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, but, what a delightful theory. <laughs> but, you know, I guess just kind of walk, if you can, walk through, if, you know, if I were a beginner, what kind of tips you would be like, all right, this is what you need to do to create a success. Well, you know, and I, and I get this question all of the time. And especially like at the LA Podcast Festival, we get new want, wanting to start a podcast and they ask me these questions. I say several things. There's no gateway to get into it. That's the that's the why when you say like, oh, podcasting is easy. You don't have to pitch it or get it approved or anything. You literally just need to plug a microphone yeah. into your laptop and you need to learn how to post and all these things, which are pretty easy to do. You just have to be willing to spend the time. And I always say to people, especially like young comics, I go, do something you're pat talk about something you're passionate about. Whatever it is, man. I mean, even if it's Play-Doh or right. you know, some of the best podcasts out I've there. I've listened to the Play-Doh podcast. It's, it's actually pretty brilliant. Yes. Um, but literally, <laughs> like Tim and Eric eat snacks. Like yeah. that podcast is is wildly popular. It's just two guys talking about their snacks and why it's great. Um I mean, <laughs> but but I say to young comics. It, it, but uh, yeah, it's... but I say like if you want to, if you're like, oh, I'm going to do this and get a TV show like Mark Marin got, you're going into it for the wrong reasons. Right. You should do it because you want to talk unfiltered about whatever the thing is you want to talk about. And I, because the thing I tell him is like, if you're into, you know, uh, retro European Play-Doh, there's someone out there who wants to hear you talking about as, it. As a snack. As a, as a snack and eat it, whatever you're into. I'm not judging. Um, but I think that's the thing. I tell people, do something you're passionate about, but you have to – the best thing and the worst thing about it is it's all on your shoulders. Right. Like, you know, you have total control, but then it never ends. 
the work you got to do. I mean, that was one of the things Aisha said in her interview. She's like, God damn it. It's so much work, but I love it. Like she was like in the interview was like wrestling with the torment of this. Yeah. Well, her podcasts are also really long, right? And I think in the trailer I saw like she, yeah, she talks about like these two hour conversations and Mm -hmm. that, you know. I'm curious from your perspective, is there like an ideal length? Because I've seen, you know, 10 to 15 minute mm-hmm. like blurbs, somebody <laughs> just ranting um, or talking about a specific topic. Or, you know, you talk to somebody like uh, Rooster Teeth, mm-hmm. right? And they've got like they go on forever. So, you know, what's is there an, is there a science to to, you know, the, I don't know. The end product. Every time somebody says things like and I think there are some there's I don't there's no hard, fast rules. I mean, I think. Like comedy film nerds, we try to keep it to an hour. Part of that is we have an online store and a bunch of other things we're doing, so we don't have we don't have three hours to talk. Right. Plus, we also feel like weekly movie review stuff is going to run out after a while. But there's people that do three hour shows. I think releasing content consistently is important. Once a week, twice a week, whatever. But then you have the show like Welcome to Night Vale, which. These guys just out of Brooklyn just started doing um, a fictional uh, news, a radio broadcast out of a fictional haunted city. And it's sort of old radio play horror, but definitely with a sense of humor. Mm. Um, They release two a month. Sometimes they're a half hour. Like they kind of break all the rules and – you know, they've got this huge fan base of primarily like 15 to 30 year old women. Yeah. And it's, and it's this phenomenon and they like skyrocket. It's a fan base we all want. We do. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and so <laughs> they sort of skyrocket. So I don't know. To me, it goes back to what I was saying before, which is just do what you want to release it however you want. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it, I would encourage consistent releasing and I would encourage consistent content. Um, but also, get you get to do whatever you want. Right. You know, like I've had some comics go, I'm going to do this however I want to do this. And if someone's like, we haven't heard an episode in a while, and if I don't feel like, you know what I mean? Like, if I just want to record one me talking in my car, then that's what it's going to be. This yeah. episode, You know, so I don't know. There's like, there's, there's guidelines, but I can't say that there's hard Yeah, hard I guess, rules. I mean, I guess it depends on... A, who your audience is, sure. who you are, right? And, you know, and if you, I feel like if you have, like you have a pretty big social presence, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a, a few tens of thousands of Twitter followers yeah. and so on and so forth. So if you took a week or two off, like I think you could rebuild relatively quickly, right? Like I have, I have a giant following on, you know, on the listening platforms. Right. But as far as me as an individual, nobody cares. <laughs> um, so, so it's like if I take a break, or then this is where the hard work comes in, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to be a little bit more of an effort for me to like get the traction back. Yeah, I mean, me personally, uh, you know, we release an episode every week, and when Chris and I have to go out of town or whatever, we bank episodes. You know, I travel a lot as a comedian, so there's sometimes it's hard. That's why we typically record on Tuesdays because that's usually a day I'm home. Mm-hmm. But we have like, you know, he's going to be out of town for a week with his family, and so we got to pre-record episodes. I mean, me personally, I try to use Hootsuite, like if I'm traveling, to right. release funny tweets and stuff and Facebook posts to stay on top of that. So, I mean, yeah, that's 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 where I come. Where I get to the point, like what the point you just made is is right, and I don't know that any any point is like definitively right or definitively wrong. I think it's like what works for you and how you want to do it. Yeah, you know, 
and how you want to engage in people and and how how you want you get to dictate how the conversation is be, be it on your podcast be it on social media whatever yeah what now and i've listened to some absolutely boring podcasts right <laughs> and i'm like I'm like you know and whether they're doing well or not is just you know is there in your in your opinion a formula for at least the host interaction like what should the conversation be like because i think you know, I think some people are very like, oh, I wrote down my 20 questions. Because I think when you're dealing with comics, yes, like they, it's a little bit more sporadic. sporadic is that the right word? Um, spontaneous. Right. Um, spastic. It's a little bit more spastic. <laughs> Spiritual. <laughs> Special. <A> sports. <laughs> Spaghetti. Spaghetti on the podcast. Um, no, but it, you know, obviously they're fun and quippy and so on and so forth. But when you when you listen to some financial podcast, right? You know, and how does that a maintain its entertainment? And that was one of the things I wanted to do, right? I wanted mm-hmm. to have a conversation about like cool shit in business and and in the world. But you know, I also wanted it not to be sound like NPR, right? right. So, um, are there any you know things you've learned as a host or as you've seen and talked to other hosts um, that are like you know? are good at making great conversation. Yeah, you know, most of the podcast world that I'm in is the world of comedians in Los Angeles. So sure. that's most of the com- people we have on our show and most of the shows that I'm a guest on. Um, so, and then I've been on some like, you know, hey, we got this show out of, you know, Omaha. Graham, can you do a Skype? And some of them aren't great interviewers. So the thing like we, me and Chris Mancini have learned this. Um when we have and most of our guests, like I said, are comics. When we have comics on, we don't need to prompt them. We just start talking about a movie, and I, I just know that a comic is gonna is gonna chime in and go, "Wait, what?" Or "No way, I never saw that." Or the trailer looked dumb to me. How could that? Mm-hmm. You know, when we have Chris and I always got to kind of remind ourselves when we have like a filmmaker or an actor or a writer or someone that's not a performer, we have to actually engage them. And go, hey, guest, what did you think about this movie or what were your thoughts when you saw that trailer? And then they'll like – because they'll just sit there kind of politely waiting to be called upon. And you're (laughs) like, oh, God, that's right. They're not comics. They're just not trained. Because comics – if you go on the road, we've all done morning radio. You know what I mean? Like we've all just came up like having – just jumping in, jumping in. Yeah. So well, it's like on occasion, like I'll, I'll book a guest co-host, right? And mm-hmm. it's the same thing. I'm like, hey, I'll tap them, or you yeah. know, just, <laughs> but but also like I, I tell, like jump in, you know, it's like you know, it's like being in a really hot brainstorm session. Right. And you're like, oh, I had so many thoughts. And you're like, uh, well, you should have said them because everybody else, like, <laughs> I couldn't find a time to like just jump in there, right? right. Um, but it, but it, you know, it just is. I like that, just being able to. Re, I guess read your guest is kind of what you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, and I've been the same way. Like I can t- see when somebody's getting really tired, or like they're ready. To, like the first forty minutes were great, and then minute forty two, they're like, uh huh, uh, yeah, I did. yeah, great, good question. <laughs> Next, <laughs> so uh, no, that's fine. As, as far as because um, I think the sort of the next wave, at least one of my predictions is this idea of brands starting to play more in the podcast space. Yes, there's pre-roll and post-roll, and like mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of copy we read. But is there, you know, is there an opportunity for brands to create their own sort of podcast content or jump on the podcast? I'll call it a bandwagon for now, but (laughs) it's a very well, here's the you know, the thing we learned again doing the festival and, and doing earbuds was that we here in Los Angeles and we're all podcasters, we think that it's oh, everyone's got a podcast. You gotta understand, especially traveling around. 
uh, we did man on the streets interviews at the Santa Monica Pier at Times Square. I would say somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 to 80 percent of the population has no idea what they are. They hear the word and they're just going to be like online video talking <laughs> like they just I'm not joking. Yeah. And um, so to me and I think we're, we're we're in the boom like there hasn't been a tipping point. Like there, there, there hasn't been a big tipping point yet. So what I think is going to happen is, first of all, as is the case with the first tipping point with this, the iPhone, the iPod drove the first sort of wave of this. And I think when cars, and this is already starting to happen, have Wi-Fi hotspots and there's just a touch screen. You're not plugging in your phone. You're just driving in your car and you just touch screen podcast and you go you go um, sp- Sports, you go music, you go business podcast, you go bing, bang, boom, you do all that stuff. When it becomes that easy and when these giant brands start jumping in, like we've already had NPR has gotten huge in the podcasting space right. because they've taken these pre-existing shows and made them huge. ESPN has had a lot, has done a lot of similar stuff like that. And then you've got places like CNN and who are just sort of repackaged. They're just taking the audio files of a TV show and putting them out there. Right. But I think what happens, everyone sort of has a gateway podcast. And I think when 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 that 70, 80% of the population starts to know, when everyone knows what it is, then it's going to change. And I think you'll have, and it's already started to happen a little bit, you'll have the giant brands right. coming in. And you'll have the smaller indie shows. You'll have the shows that are like, no sponsors, no network, baby. Boom. You know, like <laughs> fight the power, whatever they're thinking. You totally got into that character. <laughs> just, like, and I wish people could have seen you. Like the, that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know where that character came from. Um, but uh, I think that's what's going to happen. And it's already starting to happen because we've noticed like from the festival side, the sponsors we've all had have all been tech online tech something right the big companies um so the big companies are sponsoring with like espn like subway or whatever but they already have a deal with espn across the board right so they're like okay hey, yeah give them some sandwiches yeah, yeah. <laughs> you put some sandwiches in that robot <laughs> d- download thing you know <laughs> so uh so I, but i think when those companies start to see what the mid size the small and mid sized tech companies are seeing which is like the podcast fan is so engaged yeah. you know like 90% of podcast fans are college educated 70% of them want targeted advertising that is the number that's going to get everyone excited. What are the numbers you got in then head of yours? That, uh, what are their, what no. are their, what are their hair? Uh, it's funny because I've never, I've never really, you know, heard a lot of audience stats, right? And and that's that's great. And and I think, but it's also indicative of what you just said, where it's like we haven't reached that tipping point. Like, mm-hmm. no, like big brands don't necessarily care yet, and you know, but it's we're at the point where they probably should. And and if. You know, I, I work for a media agency, right? And mm-hmm. we um, we advise our clients, you know, right now. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, here's a good time to think about this, right? Whether you're creating something behind the scenes for right. an entertainment property or, you know, you have a very specific brand promise and you want to bring that to life through conversation. Like, there's a lot of different opportunities to do it. And you're absolutely right. It, you know, we're sort of at that point where I think the – 
the brands and individuals who do it successfully now will mm-hmm. be, you know, sort of uh, hopefully legendary and, you know, in a few years time. Right. Well, I mean, you say legendary. They bought Nerdist Industries. Yeah. Legendary films. Yeah. And oh. that- <laughs> Look at me. Yeah. Look what I just did. <laughs> I'll give you the credit that you did that intentionally. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but like there's a great example. Legendary films is not going to go into that space unless they're like, oh, this could be something. You know, Earwolf is another uh, you, heavy, co- you know, comedy Bang Bang is, is hosted on the Earwolf Network. And I think these these bigger companies, they're starting to see um, the value in this. And like when you hear, fa- again, unprompted interviews with fans for the earbuds they said oh i love the ads and podcasting because it's usually just one product it's not an ad every four minutes it's one thing and it's things i need and i've used they're like oh i've used this website or i it's actually it's a, it's a good insight because you know sometimes I, like a, you know, as a creator and as that guy is like no brains right <laughs> like I, th- I think that way sometimes and i'm like okay like i do feel like it's native whatever the you know the advertiser is mm-hmm. and you know, having that conversation um and being authentic and Hopefully, it's a product that I care about and like right. all that good stuff. But you know, this idea that they do want targeted advertising is great because it, it makes also makes me as a creator feel more comfortable. You know, offering up the the advertising. I try to look at it when I'm a consumer. Right. You know, on the side of my Facebook page, and there's an ad because I'm a surfer, and I have that in my profile. And then there's a thing for some like surf camp and Costa Rica. So short. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't, you don't, you don't, I don't fit the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the dreadlock, uh, exactly. um, they, but th- that's the thing, like, and that pops up and I go, well, I want to learn, I am going to click on that website, um, of, of this, whatever, this surf camp in Costa Rica. Um, and I think of then. They're making the face for your photo. Uh, but that, you know, like when when those targeted things come up, I go, well, see, I want to know about that. And then I think then on the flip side, then as a uh, as a guy producing a show and putting on a show, what do we want to send fans? And they and we we always get our products sent to us and we test them. And, you know, like we've got these razors and I'm like, I, I tested them. I'm like, I love them. I killed myself. <laughs> <laughs> Great for suicide, <laughs> but you know what I mean. And so that 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 to me is like an authentic thing. And then we incorporate it in the show. And for the advertisers, like at Comedy Film Nerds, we don't just like read like a thirty second ad copy. We just talk about it. You were on our show. We're mm-hmm. joking about it. It's a part of the show. Um, it's flowers for Mother's Day. I that's remember right. It well. Exactly. There you go. Which I actually used that service. I was like, oh, that's actually a good. I, pl- I jumped in the conversation like I knew what you were talking about. And then yeah. I was like, I'm actually, I'm going to use it for my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I used it for my Mother's Day. So let's talk about you for a second. Um, I also read that you entertained the troops and there was a documentary that you kind of were the centerpiece of. Um, yes. But just like, you know, what's that like? You know, I don't <laughs> think we get to talk to a lot of people who have gone to Afghanistan and mm-hmm. be the source of entertainment in what I would assume are kind of like dire straits, but, uh, you know, um, you would assume correct. Uh, <laughs> like, no, that wasn't, that wasn't funny. All right, let me try this next one. <laughs> why, why is that guy crying? Um, it, I've gone to Afghanistan three times and Iraq three times and Kuwait. And, um, you know, the first time I went to Afghanistan, I mean, all of this, they're, they're life changing. They're like some of the most, 
emotionally and physically challenging things I've ever done and they were most rewarding. Um, and I don't, like I, I've said, I don't come from a military family. I don't have military training. Like my dad, you know, my parents, dad was a theater professor, you know, <laughs> just like, you know. Complete opposite yes, of yeah, a soldier. Exactly. Like, um, and this is growing up too in the 70s, you know, anti-Vietnam protests and, and stuff like that. So I really went into it like, I don't know the military life or culture at all. And it was... It was amazing. I mean, you know, I've ridden on uh, Black Hawk helicopters in war zones that have come under fire. And I've seen, I've done shows in little fire bases um, in front of 15, 20 Marines. And, you know, it's it's experiences that, they're hard to they're, they're hard because I talk about them and I, and I put them in the movie because as they were happening in the film, the um, I basically just brought a handy cam with me on my first tour and was like, let's see what this is like. And during the, as it was going on, I was like, what did I sign up for? Like, wow. Um, but then you do these shows and they thank you in such a way, you know, they come up and, and shake your hand and go, thank you so much for coming out here. I can't, you know, they're just like, especially you go to some little fire base with like maybe a hundred guys at the whole base. And there's, 20 people at your show and the rest of them are on guard duty or sleeping and they come up and go, thanks. Or I've had commanding officers say whenever a comedy show comes through town, the suicide or comes through the base, the suicide rate drops. And it's like you see stuff that I wish every American could see because you come back and like, I appreciate America more, mm. but also like America, I'm not negating any of the problems America's going through. And there's a bunch, yep. but it's Disneyland by comparison when you're seeing, um, you know, I was in a base in, near the Pakistan border uh, near Jalalabad and uh, the soldier's like, oh, let's go feed the kids. And I go, well, okay. So me and the other comic, Shamatash, we go over there and these kids run along the side of a minefield that has a downed Russian MiG from the, 80, the, war, the Russian war in the 80s. And um, they run along the side of it and then we feed them bottled water and like, you know, granola bars through razor wire. And those kids are probably orphans. Right. Uh, and that's how they're eating. And, you know, I got a bunch of nieces and nephews and, uh, you know, three of them are girls. And, you know, they're they're telling me about how the Taliban shoots rockets at girls' schools. That's never happened to my nieces or nephews. Very true. And again, there's a bunch of problems happening right now in America that we need to fix that are for real. But when you see that kind of stuff, that like abject poverty and and a, a country that's been war-torn for whatever, man, you, you could say 30 years, you could say 100 years. I yeah. mean, and so you see that stuff and you go, Wow, you see, you see, sort of all of it. You see, like, well, oh yeah, war is awful, and you see um, people trying to help. You see uh, people profiting from war. You see all of it. You see people there for really just and, and honorable causes, and people for not so much. And you know, and then you're just doing these shows. I mean, you're you're riding around in helicopters. Sometimes you're doing three, four shows a day, and like. You land and there's this big helicopter. One time we had a a, a um, 
an Apache, which is like an attack helicopter. We landed at this small base, uh, Tarankout, in the southern part of Afghanistan. And we had to do the show during the day at noon. They're like, because you can't stay overnight because this area, there's a lot of Taliban. There's right. a lot of, like, it, it, it could get, we, we don't want you staying there too long. Well, you're risking your life. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, every, literally, like, every time you go, yeah. like, it is, it's risky for you. It is. It is. It's. I, I kind of. I kind of equate it like it's. It would be like being on the sideline of an NFL football game. You're not actually in the game, but you're right there. Yeah. And you could get hurt. You know what I mean? You yep. see those camera guys standing there. They're not paying attention, and some three hundred pound dude just boom. You know. So what? I mean, given those conditions, like what keep? Like what made you go in the first place? You know, other than the check. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they don't pay you much money, <laughs> no, dude. No, I'm kidding. I've I'm lost kidding. money on those gigs. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, um, no, but what? What made you go in the first place? And then you know, after you've been experiencing, because sometimes, sometimes for some, I would imagine that's a one time deal. You're like, okay, I, wow. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. But you've been five different seven. Times. Seven. Okay, sorry. Uh, but yeah, like what you know, what made you go in the first place, and then uh, takes the, you back. The reason I went in the first place was uh, right after nine eleven. I think like a lot of Americans, I felt like, what am I doing? Like I need to help more. I need to. I need to. I can't just be sitting here. And I had just gotten done hosting uh, strip poker at <laughs> this game show. You know what I mean? So I was just like Hollywood titties. You know, just like it was the most egregious American Hollywood thing. It's you our could second do. pitch. First is the uh, clowns are dead. And yeah, then Hollywood, ho- titties. Hollywood titties. <laughs> Hashtag Hollywood titties <laughs> on this episode. Um, and so 9-11 happened. And I think like a lot of people, I was like, what am I doing? I thought about joining the fire department. Uh, and my mom, who regrets saying this to this day, said, honey, remember Bob Hope? And and every time I went, what does that mean? What does, they, what does that mean? I mean, what? well, she was like, you know, Bob Hope entertained yes. his soldiers for years, so you shouldn't quit comedy. Basically, is what she was saying. Mm, okay. So then when I was like, hey, mom, I'm going to Afghanistan. A couple years later, she's like, what? I'm like, remember you say Bob <laughs> Hope? So um, that was the reason I went the first time. And in the middle of this, the first time, I was like, no way, never again. <laughs> um, after some months passed, you know, maybe six or so, I started to realize, like, I need to go back. Um, one, because I, I would get all these soldiers emailing me. I'd do shows in the States and just mention it on stage. And and family would come up. People, My son or daughter's over there. Thank you so much. Or I was over there, man. It means so much. Like, the it ne- the, the the residual, like, gratitude from it. Right was so like, wow. And then I would talk to all these comics and we all had these crazy stories going over there of stuff that happened and how much it meant to us. And and I started to realize like, you know what? I need to go back one, just so I don't let this fear defeat me. And two, for the first time I felt like, you know, you go on the comic as a road, as a road comic and sometimes you just feel like you're, I'm just like a karaoke DJ or like right. a wedding, you know, a birthday clown, just like <laughs> buy the jello shots, you know. <laughs> and so by the way, my favorite uh tip your weight staff joke is this guy who's absolutely he was he had the driest sense of humor in the co- uh, club I used to perform at in East Lansing, Michigan. He said, Don't forget to tip your weight staff because I've impregnated most of them and they're gonna need the money. <laughs> Exactly. Like, <laughs> that's what you got to do every night, dude. You got to lay those tracks down every night. And and not that people in the States don't need comedy to alleviate, but you just – it was so direct. Right. Like you are helping and commanding officers saying – literally – one guy said to me, you know, he goes, from a tactical standpoint, we need you here. 
and you're just like, really? My dick jokes in a war zone? Or <laughs> and when you hear that, you're like, wow, I'm, I, I, for the first time I felt like there was a purpose to me being a comedian. And you know, my dad uh, is retired now, but he was a theater professor and he talked about how art can make a difference. Mm. He talked about that to his students. He talked about that to me and my brother and sisters. And I was like, so that's why I'm going back to get over my fear and to like make a difference. Have meaning. Have meaning. Have what, meaning. What, so why, you know, given that, like, because I, I feel like this happens with a lot of people, right? You like, you do things that you're interested in. And then like even one guy, this guy named Adam Garone, who created uh, Movember, was a guest on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, and during the interview, he, he talks about at one point he wanted to go from success to significance, right? There's this transition point right. that happens. Why did you get into comedy in the first place? Oh, you know, I was 18, so it was probably just like, I want to be famous or whatever, you know, 18, <laughs> right. just like girls, you know, and or something. I like this guy. I like this character. <laughs> girls. No advertisers on my show. <laughs> Ferraris and bikinis, bitch. Like, um, so I think it was something like that. You yeah. know, just like I had, you know, having an artistic family, we were performing when I was a kid. We were doing, you know, shows at Christmas dinners. And I we was like the Von Trapp family. We, we were we were escaping the Nazis. <laughs> they had invaded Wisconsin and we moved to Chicago. Um, but yeah, so there was that initially just like I knew I never wanted to hold a real job and I I was kind of born into performing. But then it started to have like you like your friend said or they, that goes the move ember guy of making it becoming more significant and having more of a purpose. Right. And and realizing that that frivolous entertainment sometimes is really is necessary and you know uh, a leaving because when i would come back from those tours and would be some sometimes just like oh my god just like out of it this was crazy i found myself like i need to go watch the silliest (laughs) bubblegummy like step up you know fast and furious movie that i can find yeah um and so i saw the i saw the value of that and then also just like well i don't want to be a part of and it's why I think this transition to all this digital and and, and do it yourself stuff with podcasting, why I've gravitated so much to it is like I don't want to work with some like self important Hollywood dick producer that's like yelling or anything. Not that and the, the people that produced those two game shows are really cool people. One of them, the guy John Axelson, he just passed away. He was an awesome producer. He hired me for strip poker and he was really cool. But you know, man, you deal. <laughs> He's like, you know, I remember. I remember I did an audition for some hosting gig or something like that. And I had just come back from like my second trip to Afghanistan. And this producer was, was dressing down the assistant cause he, and I'm not joking. This sounds like a cliche brought the wrong Starbucks order. Wow. And I was just sitting there and he's like, okay, and who are you now? And I said, tell me a little about yourself. And he's expecting me to like, you know, Oh, please, please. And I was like, well, I just came back from Afghanistan and I told him what I went down, what, what happened. I didn't like throw it in his face, but I just said, I, this is what I just did and was shot at. And he just was like, oh, thanks. And I saw it in his face. Yeah. And I didn't have to go now, bitch. Like, <laughs> where's your Starbucks now, punk? Like, um, but inst- it was just like, and I remember just walking out of there going, I don't even want this gig. Yeah. Well, it puts it all in perspective. I think what you've experienced, like, you know, by going to those locations is, is you know, just putting things in perspective, mm-hmm. right? Even the fact that you mentioned, like, 
coming back and having what sounds like a you know very minute uh, PTSD, right? Like you yeah, just yeah. like you've seen and heard. And I don't know that some... it was minute. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but, but I'm, by comparison to yeah, yeah, you guys yeah, who yeah, are sure, stationed sure. there, course. right? And, yeah, they got it. For and their real. tours are two, you know, not comedy tours. That's <laughs> not two weeks of telling dick jokes. No, it's fourteen months of carrying a weapon. Right, and you think about like, and this kind of goes back to this, you know, this idea of intimacy. I think a 15, 20 person room is an intimate setting. It's very much a departure from whatever you, whatever was happening, mm-hmm. you know, an hour before you showed up. It's like suddenly, it's why people go to movies, right? Like you said, right. you wanted to come back and like, I need to absorb something else, even if it's for a few minutes, even if it's, mm-hmm. you know, in the case of Sinai, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. even if it's just for 45 minutes to an hour at a time, and, you know, you've got this interesting sort of um, exchange, but you also understand what they're going through. So it's like, I think you might even... You know, perform or feel differently when you're when you're there it's 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 um yeah it's it's such an amazing experience yeah you're absolutely right like i'll never know what it's like to be in combat i that's like one of those things like you'll i'll just never know what that actually is like i know what it's like to be in combat boots and a thong yeah that is a wonderful and that i've got ptsd from that um (laughs) from watching you in combat boots and a thong (laughs) but like it's it's so I, I'll never know what that's like, but you know, I've been on a helicopter that started shooting at somebody and having some rocket attacks. It's like it's it's crazy, and you come back here, and it's God. It's like you 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 love America so much more, and then get so frustrated with it even more. So it's like this 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 total yeah. dichotomy, and then you know. I've done the bases where there's some 22-year-old, 19-year-old guy who just got off a patrol and he's just kind of staring at me wide-eyed with that thousand-yard stare like, what? Is this guy wearing a Cubs jersey? You know? Right. And you can just see it in his face. He's not like, oh, this guy sucks. He's just like, he can't even process that there's some civilian dude here like, hey, Jokey McGillicuddy. You know what I mean? And, (laughs) and, and, And... and then they'll come up and they'll they'll thank you. And then you'll have these – this is the, the big part of it too. After the shows, you know, you're thanking everybody and you're signing autographs or whatever. And then there's always a couple of guys that hang around and they start talking to you because they feel comfortable to talk to you. Right. You're not – Well, comedy is so disarming, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's just a, such a disarming thing. So. You made me laugh. So I feel comfortable right. with you, you know. And you're also not in the military. You're not in the press. So I can talk to you. You know, I can't – boo-hoo to my commanding officer he's gonna be like suck it up soldier like and so they'd share stories with you and you just be like dang and you realize that that was a big part of the job it wasn't just on stage it was the hanging out with them afterwards and they oh let me show you this and oh i got cigars and you know what i mean like you you'd have these really cool experiences with them and that affected you and and it's been like that alone is worth more than any of this other stuff. And it also changed my perspective of like what I thought I wanted, you know? Right. And, you know, I'm not opposed to some big fancy contract on something. I'm not going to sit there and say, no, I'm a hippie and live in an ashram, but. Yeah. You know, I mean, like I live at the well, beach, I get to surf. Like, yeah, <laughs> like your life's not that bad, right? On, like it's man. all, like you said, it's all, it's all perspective. Yeah. And anytime I, and anytime I, and I can do that, like, oh man, 
you know, like these comics I started with, they're all, you know, I started with Zach Galifianakis and he's a buddy of mine and I, I, and I can get down. I should be famous and have this giant movie career. And it's like, no way. Am I right. getting, am I getting bottled water through razor wire? No, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. I mean, here at Sideshow Network. Yeah. yeah. But then, <laughs> <laughs> here you go, guest. Um, so you just get hit in the head with bottled yeah, water. Shut up. I didn't even ask for this. <laughs> you were late. Um, <laughs> But you know what I mean? It, it 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 so helps me come back to perspective and just go, you know, and, and well, we all forget. We all forget. Yeah, it's easy to. We all we we also forget how bad we probably had it at one point in time, mm-hmm. right? And and you're so angry about you, what you ha- don't have or what mm-hmm. you haven't gotten that you forget like how how awesome you've been, right? It's it's it, let alone you know how lucky you are in comparison to some other smoke. Right, um, not to call them schmoes, but you understand. What <laughs> hey, sh- <laughs> hello, schmoes! <laughs> Happy to be here. Um, so the show is called Innovation Crush. Um, for starters, what is out in the world that you've seen? You know, take this whole conversation mm-hmm. in that you are personally crushing on, that you think is pretty awesome. You're like, man, that is awesome. I'm, you know. Um, I misunderstood the point of this show. I thought it was crushing somebody's new idea. I thought that was the purpose <laughs> of this show. That is horrible. <laughs> You're an idiot. Never work. Death. <laughs> like a trap door with alligator pit. <laughs> Good luck with your CB radio, boo. Um, I, you know, there's so many cool things. Um, God, I'm sure you know this. That it feels like you know things change like every four seconds out there in 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 the world. The thing that I'm seeing, you know, technology gets a lot of criticism and some of it is justified about how it's it's separating us. Mm-hmm. You know, two people are sitting at a dinner table and they're looking at their phones instead of interacting or they're more concerned with the, the photo of the beautiful sunset versus just sitting there and, and enjoying it, right. right? Which is Which is legitimate. What I've seen from podcasting is it has brought people together. Mm. They go online – and talk about this show. And I mean, again, like an inter- a guy said, you know, there's people asking me my opinion and, 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 and real friendships have forged online. And then like they come to like the LA podcast festival and they all meet for the first time. And they all, like a guy said to me last year at the festival, him and his wife came there for their 20th wedding anniversary. Kind of a nerdy looking guy. They came to the podcast festival. To celebrate. Wow. They're both big podcast fans. And they listen to a lot of big comedian, you know, Jimmy Pardo and Todd Glass and all these guys. And this guy said to me, he goes, you know, my whole life I felt like an outsider. Weirdo, nerd, you know, shy. He goes, this is the first time in my life, he's in his 40s, where I felt totally accepted. And that to me was like, wow. Yeah. You know, me and my co-host just, you know, two comedians – you know, whatever, just the well, those Transformer movies, blah, or whatever our little whiny, stupid filmmaker comedian right. things are. And 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 seeing that, seeing this connection is like gives me hope that this technology isn't gonna divide us all, that it actually and it's some when it's used correctly, I mean, look, it's overthrown it's overthrown governments. I mean, yeah. it started in Ukraine, in in Iran. Like, look what it's done. I mean, you know, seeing on on Twitter like what would the mainstream media was reporting from Baltimore and then showing people on Twitter going, wait a minute, there's communities working together. It's not all fighting. And well, because looting is good ratings for the mainstream media. Right. And you got people report showing everything. So I feel like 
that to me is is this innovation that I'm like, man, the, I, I'm I'm so happy with that because it's easy to watch the news and be like, oh, well, the human race, we're about done. You know, <laughs> like, no, let's punch <laughs> yeah. out. I think we're done. But you see that stuff and, and you see the technology being used and people connecting in ways literally around the world. And I think we're in this time of such all of this old thinking, old business model, old political model, mm-hmm. old social model. It's all being shaken up, being crushed, literally, to use your show's title. Um, and that's why it's messy and there's going to be a lot of resistance. Um, but you're seeing this – like look at the internet. Like the, YouTube is the most democratic thing that's ever happened. The internet is the most democratic thing. Like I've seen interviews with these YouTube stars and they're like, I do a show where I whatever. And do you think I could have pitched this show to a network? Yeah. And it doesn't matter now. I'm making my own money. I have my own, you know, I've heard of YouTube stars like getting offered TV shows and they're just like, oh, less money and less ownership. Sorry. You know? And so that's what I'm seeing this whole sort of revolution uh, on a lot of different ways. And I'm just really excited to see all of the places that it's going and, and seeing how cool it can bring people together. Cause literally, you know, I met a Japanese housewife I mean, literally, tell me if any of these on paper, a Japanese housewife, uh, uh, a guy who works in a mine in the Australian outback, a drill instructor, uh, a cartoon artist in Baltimore, a gymnastics instructor in Indiana. Those people have nothing on paper. They have nothing, nothing in common. (laughs) And yet they all love the same podcasts. Yeah. And that to me is like – and as someone who's traveled the world – there's this great book called Bowling Alone and it it talks about how um, back in the day there was bowling leagues. They're basically using like bowling leagues as an example of on your bowling league was people from all these different walks of life, different religions, different, um, you know, social backgrounds, different political backgrounds. And now we've sort of since post-Vietnam, we've kind of all been divided. Yeah. And we all hang out, like all the liberals hang out and all the conservatives hang out. You know what I mean? And every ethnic group and everyone kind of is is like there's certain amount of of division and and it's it's almost kind of tribal. And I'm just gonna support my group, right? Right or wrong. And that's causing all of these, that's causing a lot of this. I mean, I'm I'm oversimplifying some very complex issues. But, sure. But so from a distance we're very different. We don't get along. I don't understand anything you're saying. You start talking and communicating and you find some common ground on something. And then you start to realize, well, you know, we're not that. And I know this sounds like after school special. No, but, it, but, it, but it's it, true. It's absolutely true. I, you know, and I, and I think, I mean, even from a marketer's standpoint, right, you know, the way we used to look at demographics right. is very different because it's more about social interests and interaction and archetypes, whether it's like you're a male 18 to 34, right? right? It's, you know, those groups still exist and they still matter, but you can dissect groups so, you know, um, in so many different ways just, just based on common interests, like those five people you mentioned mm-hmm. and like, oh, here's their common thread, right? As, as far as like a cultural point of interest. 
artist. Now, if we can tap into these individuals' cultural points of interest, like going back to like the brand conversation that we were having, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, okay, let's support this group of podcasts, you know, as Snickers. I don't know, right? <laughs> but, but, um, but you know, it's just like having having that idea, and I think this idea of democratizing, you know, or or breaking down the barriers between groups and finding those common interests. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, I think uh, the upside of technology is kind of what you mentioned is this ability to pay more attention. Like even, even the flip side of the argument on the sunset piece is, you know, how many people would have actually noticed that the sunset was beautiful if they didn't have a way, a place to share it. Right. And it's That's like, a good point. I have a thousand friends who I feel like need to see. There's a little bit of like, oh, me, me, me in it. But sure. there's also like, there's some genuine people out there like, this is beautiful. This is a beautiful moment. Or this plate is amazingly mm-hmm. crafted. I want people to see it. Uh, but in on the flip side, yes, it can. There was a restaurant that was like, they got so many horrible complaints on Yelp. Then they ended up like installing hidden cameras and like, we got to see what's, ha- what's happening. Because there were people were complaining about the length of time it took for table and then when the food came it was cold and blah 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 and what they found was people were taking anywhere from two to seven minutes to take pictures of their food before they ate it by the time they got done taking pictures and posting them and started eating it was cold so they would send it back so them sending the food back was causing a delay to you know because then the kitchen had to re-prepare the food or heat it up or do whatever and it's just like this whole backlog of like we are constantly, you know, on our. So there's a, there has to be a balance between like being connected and being disconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, um, not to uh, no, that's a, that, that's a gr- no, that's a great point though. Thank you because th- because <laughs> and and this is the thing again I love about podcasting and one of the great interview people people said was like w- some guys that had came from traditional radio, and they were like in radio and in traditional media there has to be this pro con right me you fight it and you see that all the cnn fox that's all they do yep. and he goes i love being on a podcast and, and going and changing my mind and going you know what I, I guess i don't know or i thought this right i thought it was that and maybe it isn't and i love maybe i don't hate minorities yeah <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't. Maybe I shouldn't be in the clan. Um, but like, that's the thing is, is these long form discussions, like you brought up a great point. You just showed the example of technology. And so people's technology was getting in the way of them enjoying food. And then technology showed them that their technology is getting them in the way of them enjoying food. You know what I'm saying? Like My mind is blown. <laughs> I'm looking through one of those mirrors that never ends. <laughs> so that's to me is like we're in this sort of crazy, exciting time. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm really – again, you, like you say, it's balance. You know, I, I work on all this technological stuff. And I make sure like this morning – I go surfing, and if anyone ever invents waterproof Wi-Fi for my surfboard, I'm going to smash it because I don't want it right. when I'm surfing. Like, find – I start my day every morning. I go on my roof. I got a nice roof deck in my building, and I look at the ocean. I read. I meditate. And I do a bunch of hippie crazy stuff, and that's before I turn my phone on. That's great. And I do that. And then I start my day, and all the emails and all the busy crazy stuff I'm doing, and I think if you find that balance – with the technology and with your life, then it then it can do what it's supposed to do, which is uh, make your life better. Make your life better. Accent your life. <laughs> right. You know what yes. I mean. Yes. And the accent, not be. That's, that's right. actually a great point. You know, it's funny because I I actually um, uh, uh, swim on a master's team, and Ooh. I'm the same way. Like I love 
going in the water. A, because I'm head down. I can't hear anything. Mm-hmm. I can't access a phone. <laughs> like, right. You know, and I and I'll for the most part, uh, I can't see anybody. Right. So it's like it, it's different than running. It's different than being on a bike. I mean, even I love uh, the idea of surfing. I never will do it in my life, but <laughs> unless it's the internet. Um, but you know, just this idea of like isolation for an hour and a half. And and also like really pushing myself to, right. to do something like just being in a zone for a minute. It's hard to stay in a zone because every email is interrupted with a phone call. Every phone call is interrupted with a text oh. message and every text message is interrupted with a social media post. And it's like we're just in, in a time of interruption. Yeah. So um, so with that said, um, complete this phrase for me. Innovation to me is. Crushing the weak. No, uh, <laughs> what? What? He just was saying all this love hippie shit. What exactly. happened? Um, <laughs> this joke just cuts, cuts off. <laughs> um, innovation to me is is anything's possible. The innovation to me is 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 the freedom that anything is possible. And that's the thing I love about this is, you know, Chris Mancini or the other guys, Dave Anthony and Andy Wood that I work with on PodFest or the people I was just talking to the editor for Earbuds. And these are really talented, creative people. And because so much of this is new, someone will say, well, I, what about this? I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it'll work. Yeah. It seems like it might. There's some some data to support it, but who knows? And that to me is so cool and so exciting. Um, it's literally the sky. There's no limit. That's great. That's and true. A, yeah, that's that's what I feel about it. And so when I hear people talking no limit, or then I go, I just am like, hey, you're stuck in a. Yeah, there's with the Nielsen system, the most outdated uh, data <laughs> right. collection system on the planet. Yeah, sure, it is limited, or you have to go through this because blah 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 blah. But not now. And yeah. and I, I've I've turned people so they were like, no, you can't. Blah blah blah. And I go, well, how about this, this, and this? I've done this, this, and this. And they go, huh? I go, they go, how'd you do that? I go, I had to. Yeah, I couldn't get work in traditional media, so I had to create this, and I just did it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and they kind of go, oh, I go. <laughs> Yeah, man. Yeah, it's it's not, it's, it's funny because it's it's not as hard as you think it is, but it's also a lot harder. It's, it's, hard. it's, both, it's both those things. It is a punch in the dick harder than what you think it is. But then I think, by the way, this is the most times the word "dick" has been said on this show. So, oh, good. Yeah, I think you just set a record. Well, then innovation is dick punching. <laughs> That's what I meant to say in the first place. Do I get an innovation crush hat uh, for dick break- hat? Dick. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet, I got a bachelorette party tonight. It is going to be off the chain. Can I come with my combat? Uh, all right, so um, <laughs> we already hired you. How can people find you? Um, uh, you can go to GrahamElwood.com, uh, which is all my Twitter, Facebook, Instagram is all at Graham Elwood on Twitter, at Graham Elwood on Instagram. Um, Facebook is uh, facebook.com slash Graham Elwood fan page. You can get links to it through GrahamElwood.com. And then, of course, you can get links to my podcast, Comedy Film Nerds, uh, all of that. And we're at Comedy Film Nerds on all the other social media platforms. So just go to, you know, go to my website or find whatever platform you're really into. 
We're there. I'm on it. <laughs> That's and awesome. I will crush your innovations. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for being the third nerd on my show. Thanks, dude. Um, and uh, hey, everybody, this has been another episode of Innovation Crush. And thank you, Graham Elwood, for joining us. And uh, we will talk to you next time. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger. Schleichinger, I've been friends with her for 10 years. One of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore. Because it's here. And it's funny. And I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and 3 comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.